Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. We're going to be continuing on in our series that we're in at the moment called A Portrait of Jesus. Uh, and we've been going through the book of John in the New Testament. Uh, and we've seen how Jesus has interacted with various people. We've seen how as he encounters people, it's a completely transformational moment for them and they're left changed. And tonight we're going to look at a passage that tells a story of a man whose little boy was dying and how Jesus healed him in a fairly non-conventional way. So we're going to read from John chapter 4, verses 46 to 54, and it should come up on the screen behind me as well. That's John chapter 4, 46 to 54. It says, Once more he visited Cana in Galilee, where he had turned the water into wine. And there was a certain royal official whose son lay sick at Capernaum. When this man heard that Jesus had arrived in Galilee from Judea, he went to him and begged him to come and heal his son, who was close to death. Unless you people see miraculous signs and wonders, Jesus told him, you will never believe. The royal official said, Sir, come down before my child dies. Jesus replied, You may go, your son will live. The man took Jesus at his word and departed. While he was still on the way, his servants met him with the news that his boy was living. When he inquired as to the time when his son got better, they said to him, the fever left him yesterday at the seventh hour. Then the father realised that this was the exact time at which Jesus had said to him, your son will live. So he and all his household believed. This was the second miraculous sign that Jesus performed, having come from Judea to Galilee. So throughout John's gospel, what's become clear so far is that John actually says very little about Jesus' contact with the multitudes, with bigger groups of people. But actually long sections of this book are devoted to conversations that Jesus had with individuals. And we see that Jesus was open, warm and vitally interested in people. And whenever he interacted with individuals, he was more often than not performing a miracle in their life and at the same time teaching them a valuable lesson. And that's what we're going to see in our passage this evening. What we're going to see tonight... Um, is that Jesus is the healer, that his word is powerful, and that he responds to faith. So firstly, Jesus is the healer. The first thing we see in this text is Jesus on the road again. Uh, And if we track back to the beginning of chapter 4 last week, Tom preached to us um, about Jesus meeting the the Samaritan woman at the well. And it says in verse 3 of of this chapter 4, he had to pass through Samaria... Um, Now, this language tells us that it was divine necessity that he had to pass through there in order to meet with this woman at the well. The Holy Spirit led him uh, through Samaria because this woman was an outcast. She was desperate. She needed life. um, And so he had to go through Samaria to meet her. And this was who Jesus' heart was for, um, the desperate, the outcast, the people really in need of healing. And so in our passage tonight, an official in Herod's court hears that Jesus is about. And this official was a man of status, of power and of influence. He had a son as well who was about to die. So this was a powerful man and a really desperate man at the same time. 
And this guy makes the 26-kilometer trek from Capernaum to Cana um, because he knows that Jesus the healer is in town. So this really does tell us how desperate this, this man was. His status, his wealth, his influence, none of it could help him in this moment. He had exhausted every other resource. So he hears that Jesus is in Cana and he races to him. And so Jesus is, is presented with this news of a boy who is sick uh, and he has the power to actually do something about it. He has the power to change this boy's state of being from being on death's door to fully restored and well again. And we see that healing people's um, physical, emotional and spiritual ailments was a massive part of Jesus' life and ministry when he was on earth. Uh, and as Jesus began his ministry, before we'd done anything yet, he stood up in the synagogue in Nazareth and he read from the prophet Isaiah. He said, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favour. He then spent the next three years proclaiming the coming of the kingdom of God in both his teaching and his actions. He preached good news to the poor and he healed the eyes of the blind. Um, everywhere he went, Jesus was good news to people. Lepers were cleansed, the lame could walk, were demonically oppressed, were set free, and even the dead were raised. But why did he do this? Why was Jesus a healer? Firstly, he had compassion on those who were broken physically, emotionally, and spiritually. He healed them because he loved them. And we saw this example last week with the Samaritan woman at the well. This wasn't necessarily a physical healing, um, but actually an emotional and a spiritual healing that he did. Uh, and he did this because he had compassion on this woman, because he loved her and so wanted to set her free from this path of shame that she was on. And the second reason is that he came to announce the coming of the kingdom of God. So what is this future kingdom going to look like? In God's kingdom, there will be um, no hunger. No one will be oppressed. Um, there's going to be no injustice. Everyone will be well, spiritually, physically, emotionally, mentally, everything. So when Jesus came to earth, he not only announced his kingdom, but he also demonstrated what it was going to look like. And he gave his disciples and us here this evening the exact same ministry. It says in the book of Luke, when Jesus had called the 12 together, he gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. And he sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. Jesus heals today. And there'll be many people in this room, myself included, who can testify to having witnessed um, somebody receive healing from Jesus. I remember a story that my mum told me. She's told me this story many, many times. Uh, when my little sister was born and her hips were completely misaligned. They were apparently facing the wrong way. So um, they had taken her to the doctor and they'd done loads of x-rays. And they had said it was pretty bad and that she would have to wear this um, really painful brace that she wore, um, for the, at least for the first few years of her life, um, that basically made her legs face the other way. So it was pretty intense. And so my mum realised her discomfort um, and got loads of people from the church to pray for healing for her. And then we took her back to the, um, back to the doctors a few weeks later and uh, they did another x-ray and saw that her hips were just completely in the right place suddenly. And as you can imagine, everyone was really shocked. 
I heard another story recently of a woman who was going blind. Um, this lady had been told by doctors that she had about six months probably before she w went completely blind. And that summer, she went to a Christian conference. And at that conference, um, a bunch of teenagers with no major qualifications, didn't have any kind of deep theological understanding, went over to her and prayed for her. Um, and they saw a miracle. Her eyesight got immediately better. Uh, and she went to the doctors six months later. And again, they couldn't believe what they were seeing. These young people prayed with faith and with expectation. They didn't really know any better. Uh, and God moved. What a beautiful trait of Jesus um, that we can see here, that he is willing and able to heal his children when they ask. Now, there are also many times and examples of situations where there hasn't been healing. I know of people who have prayed for years for healing um, and they haven't seen it happen yet. But as believers in Jesus, we are promised healing, whether that be on this side of heaven or on the next side of heaven. So the first thing that we learn from this passage is quite simply that Jesus is the healer. He was a healer when he walked on earth and he is a healer today. And we're going to move on um, to talk a lot about faith now and having faith to believe Jesus is who he says he is, including when we don't see those miracles happen. Um, but I want to start by just reiterating that Jesus is the healer and miracle worker and we can expect to see healings and miracles happen in our days. So jumping back into the passage... After having trekked 26 kilometres to get from Capernaum to Cana, this official pleads with Jesus to heal his dying son. Like we mentioned earlier, this guy was powerful. He had money and status, and so he would have had the resources to try everything available, and it wasn't working. And so this guy was desperate. He needed a miracle, and soon. Um, and Jesus looks at this really desperate father... And listens to him. And in, in verse 48, he says, unless you see signs and wonders, you will never believe. And when I first read this, I thought, I mean, read the room. This guy's son is dying. Why does it feel like Jesus is insulting this man um, in his moment of need? What is he doing? I think he's probing at something deeper that's going on in this man's life. Jesus wants to use this experience to teach this man the value of faith in God. And what feels like the most important thing in this moment is this little boy's health. But Jesus actually turns that on its head. He causes this man to look at the state of his own heart. Um, I've referenced in many preachers my wonderful Christian counsellor, Lynn, um, many times. I speak to her fairly regularly um, as she's a great sounding board for ideas. Um, and she teaches me about healthy ways to process what happens um, in my life. And I still remember the first time she did something kind of similar to what Jesus is doing here with me. I'd been speaking to her for about six months at that time. And she'd just shown me lots of compassion and empathy and had essentially just listened to me for a long time. And then one day, again, I came to her very vulnerable, very upset, splurging out um, all these, these things I was struggling with. And she replied straight away with a, a question about me um, that essentially got to the heart of the struggle. She was alluding to a struggle in my own life that I, had, I thought had absolutely nothing to do with what we were talking about. And it felt kind of like she was calling me out, um, and I didn't like it at all. But as we unpacked it a bit more, we realised that that was the root of the problem, something left unresolved in me. And we see Jesus treat this official 
in a fairly similar way in this passage. He has compassion and empathy for this man. He feels the full scope of this man's desperate situation. That's what he brings primarily. But his first response here is actually to point him to the state of his own heart. He points out the need for faith in God in this situation. Uh, And please don't hear what I'm not saying. Um, Whether people get healed on this side of heaven is not down to our own sin sin and what we do or don't do. Um, God is completely in control of these things and we are not. Um, But in this passage, what we see is Jesus redirecting this desperate father to having faith in God, who who is the only one powerful enough to do anything about this situation. Jesus Um, instructs the man he says go your son will be healed what a gamble this father had to take he had to begin to to make that 26 kilometer trek back to Capernaum completely banking on the fact that what Jesus had said was true I'm sure many of us can agree that at one time or another we've been in a situation whereby something hard is going on in our lives and there's no resolution yet Um, I love to call these types of situations painful in-betweens. A painful reality is present. This official son is dying um, before Jesus has healed him, and there is no outcome yet. There is no resolution or happy ending. He is just travelling home. And I'm sure we can all identify with this feeling of living in a painful in-between, whether that be um, an unresolved relationship problem, a sickness that isn't going away, Um, a complicated work situation or a financial issue that feels overwhelming. To be honest, for most of our lives, we're often walking through a painful in-between. Whether we've just walked through one um, or we're entering into a new one, our world is so broken, isn't it? And often we're caught up in the consequence of that. But we're prone, I'm prone, to wanting comfort and an easy life. I imagine that's exactly what the official wanted in his moment of distress, a quick and easy resolution. He did not want Jesus to say, yeah, 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 I'm not coming right now, um, but your son's healed, it's sorted out. He wanted the assurance that everything was okay. He wanted Jesus to come with him. Lisa Turkhurst um, is a Christian writer and speaker who has suffered a lot in life. She's battled cancer twice. She's walked through unfaithfulness in her marriage uh, and just lots of rejection in life generally. And she writes about comfort. She says, comfort isn't a solution to seek. Rather, it's a byproduct we will reap when we stay close to God, when we choose faith in God over succumbing to what our situations and circumstances would dictate. We will be comforted. We are hardwired for perfection, aren't we? Because we're hardwired for heaven. So it's no surprise at all. But Jesus consistently taught that we must choose faith over comfort. Hebrews 11, it says... Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. And I think this verse really sums up what is happening in our passage. Um, The official had confidence in what he was hoping for because Jesus had said it. He couldn't see it with his eyes yet. He wasn't at home with his son, but he believed it anyway. I wonder what um, situations in our lives feel impossible, feel immovable, make us feel like we're victims. It's never going to change. I think Jesus would say to us this evening, what do you want? Will you choose faith? Will you choose me? Will you choose to look beyond what you can see physically in front of you and have faith in me? Jesus performs a miracle of healing um, in in this little boy's life and even from a distance. And at the same time, he teaches this man an important lesson. He teaches this man the value of faith. 
And Jesus, I think, is the same with us today. He is the healer and the one who has power to change anything and everything in our lives. But he also prioritises exposing um, the real root of our problem. When we come to him with our symptoms and sicknesses, he isn't swayed by our emotions or situations. He doesn't say stuff just to please us or positively reinforce us, however bleak the situations might look. He cares about them deeply, but he cares more about getting straight to the heart of the issue. So we must have faith to believe and trust that Jesus is king, that yes, he's the healer, and also that he's sovereign over everything. Whether we see healing or not, Jesus is trustworthy and can bear the weight of all our fears and desires. I wonder, has anyone ever done that thing when you're getting ready to go out uh, and you message a friend, I actually did that this this weekend, you message a friend asking what they're wearing because you want to make sure you've got the vibe right. And they reply, Beth always does this to me, jeans and a nice top. Um, This is not enough info for me. I need a lot more than that. Um, That could mean anything. So I'll often message back, you need to give me more specifics. I need a photo to see what the vibe we're going for is. Um, We like to have assurance, don't we, that we can predict outcomes. Um, So sometimes someone just giving us their word doesn't quite feel like it's enough. And we see Jesus give people his word many times throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. And he performs miracles from a distance and they require people to go away in faith, believing that what Jesus had said was true. One of my favorite examples um, is in the Old Testament book of Exodus, where Moses is leading the Israelites out of slavery um, in Egypt and they're being physically chased by Pharaoh and the Egyptians. And at one point, they reach the ocean, the massive expanse of uncrossable ocean. This is truly a moment when I imagine Moses, who was leading this group um, of ex-slaves, surely he would have doubted God's word in this moment, his promise to release them from captivity. There's nothing um, that looks more final than a massive expanse of ocean standing in your way. And you can almost imagine the voices of the Israelites behind Moses saying, oh, we should never have followed this guy. This is where he's taken us. We're going to die now. But Moses, in this crucial moment of desperation, chooses faith over sight. And then the sea literally parts in front of them and they walk through unharmed. And what we can also see in our passage this evening is, like we've mentioned, very often our preference is sight over faith, kind of the opposite of what we see Moses do there. Um, the, The royal official comes to Jesus desperate, Sir, come down before my child dies. He's asking Jesus to come to Capernaum with him. And Jesus refuses this man's request in part, Um, But instead, he gives the man his word. And in this Roman official's desperation, like we've said, he wanted Jesus right next to him. It's likely that this guy um, would have travelled to Cana, probably in a chariot, because he was really rich. And I imagine in this moment, he would have wanted to invite Jesus to come up uh, and sit on his chariot with him and take him to Cana. He wanted to bring Jesus with him. He wanted to see Jesus lay hands physically on his son. He wanted it done in a way that he could see, touch, measure and know that he was healed. But Jesus refused to go and and instead he simply spoke. He refuses this part of the man's request because he wanted for him, for the crowd and for us this evening, something way better than just signs and wonders. He wanted to give them a chance to walk by faith. So how do we walk by faith? How do we walk 
by faith in Fallowfield, even just tonight. Um, and like this official did, how do we um, really take Jesus at his word? Well, I think we, we first need to think about what is his word. Um, his word is the truth we find in the Bible. So his word is that he is completely in control. His word is that he is good, even when we can't see it, that he'll give us everything we need, that he's going to finish what he started in us. His word is that no weapon formed against us will ever prosper. His word is that he's never going to leave us or forsake us. His word is that his grace is sufficient for us and his mercies are new every morning. And we can trust then that his word is powerful. As we see in the passage a bit further down, when the father returns home and asks the servant at what time the boy was healed, he realises it's the exact same time Jesus spoke the words, go, your son is healed. So we can trust that all these things we read in the Bible are true, even in the middle of our painful realities. God spoke the earth into existence with simple words. And Jesus cast out demons with a simple word. And as he died, he forgave the sins of humanity forever with his words. The truths we find in the Bible are what we must hold on to when we don't see the miracle and when we do. When faith becomes hard to hold on to and when it feels easy as well. When I was learning um, Spanish at university, I had uh, verbs and adjectives and Spanish words and phrases written all over my uni house, kind of on the fridge door, on the bathroom door, wherever, so that I, could, I would look at it all the time and remember it and then learn it. And I think if you're trying to learn a language, this is a great exercise to do. Um, but also, if you're trying to walk by faith and not by sight, committing Bible verses to memory is a fantastic thing to do. In Psalm 119, it says... I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. When we get stuck in between what we've prayed for um, and seeing the miracle, it's immersing ourselves in the word of God and putting our faith in the sovereignty of God that will see us through. And I felt God <clears throat> speak this to me even just this week, that my faith cannot be wholly linked to the miracles I do see or I don't see and you know, waiting for the next breakthrough that God is going to give. Um, my faith must be anchored to the person of Jesus, not just for his power or the stuff he's going to give me or the stuff he's going to see me through, um, but for his person, for who he is, that he is God. We might pray, Jesus, would you change my boss's heart? Would you heal this broken relationship in my family? Would you make me not struggle with this thing anymore? All very good prayers to pray. Um, and I believe sometimes Jesus is standing there saying, I see all these things you want. I see the struggle. I see the mountains that you want moved. But primarily, you need more of me. He exposes in us sometimes our preference for his power over his person. We want more of what he can offer us than we want more of him. So are we prepared to have full faith in Jesus, even when we don't see the healing? even when the mountain isn't moved on this side of heaven. Because this can be really painful to accept when a negative reality feels like it's pressing in on us from all sides. But he is the same yesterday, today and forever. We come to him bringing the symptoms, again, of our sickness all the time, don't we? Jesus, please take this away. Do a miracle. God, help me. I'm out of energy. Give me joy and peace. Let me feel the overflow of your presence. I've tried everything and nothing's working. 
I think essentially in those moments we're saying, Jesus, come up into my chariot with me. Come down to Capernaum with me. Show up in exactly the way I want you to right now. Um, But more often than not, I think he says, go, your son will live. He says, I'm going to give you something way better than what you're asking for. I'm going to give you my word. Why? Because Jesus would say to us this evening, I don't just want to take away your symptoms. I want to heal your disease. I want to give you a new heart completely. I don't want to just take away the things that make your life um, difficult right now so that it's easier, so that it's more comfortable. I want to um, restore you and renew you and heal you from the inside out. So what we can see throughout this book of John is that Jesus didn't come as a superhero to simply make our lives easier, happier and better. He came ultimately to heal our deepest hurts and sicknesses, the sins that people have committed against us and the sins that we have committed. He came to point to the coming kingdom of God where there will be no brokenness or sickness. He came to bring restoration and peace and joy into situations that feel like immovable mountains. And ultimately he came and died on a cross for us so that we would put our trust in him, so that we would believe him without seeing, so that we would Walk from Cana to Capernaum like this desperate father did without knowing or seeing the ending, but with faith. In Isaiah 43, it says, You are my servant whom I have chosen so that you may know me and believe me and understand that I am he. This is Jesus, the healer, who wants to heal us from the inside out and to turn our doubt into faith so that we would not only know him, but also believe him.